Welcome to the Product-Led Podcast. I'm Mario Araujo, a B2B growth advisor and interim growth leader. I was an early employee of OutSystems and left after we got close to a 10B valuation and, and later joined software. You can find out more about me at marioaraujo.co or visit my side project at productledstack.co. Today, I'm excited to have here Katia Roshko from Amplitude, and she's going to take part in the PLG Fall Start series. We are exploring the untold stories behind PLG implementations and failures, and also the learnings. We had a profound conversation and went into the weeds of the things she would have done differently today. And, uh, you know, a couple of them would be dealing with perfectionism and how it can affect the implementation times of your experiments without, well, with diminishing returns, I would say, and also optimizing for one step of the journey without considering uh, what comes next can also be limiting. She'll share more. As usual, references will be added to the show notes. So sit back and enjoy this episode with Katia. Thank you. Thanks, Katia, for joining us today. It's a pleasure having you here. I know you have a great story to share, great experience of, uh, well, maybe not a false start. Well, in your case, it was a false start, but uh, we'll chat a little bit about that later. Maybe we'll start with who you are and what you do. Thanks, Mario. Super excited to be here. So first of all, my name is Katia Roshko. I'm originally from Krivorog, Ukraine. Nobody knows where it is, but currently I'm based in San Francisco, California. I came to the U.S. about eight years ago. And to say that my path was nonlinear and my background was non-standard is to say nothing. So I'll give you my life story in seven bullets. (laughs) I like the precision of it. Very scientific of you. (laughs) Keep it short. Just give me the TLDR. Number one is I studied foreign languages and literature at the university back in Ukraine. Number two, I dropped out on year two, came to the U.S. at the age of 19 with $60 in my pocket, with barely speaking English, knowing no one, but I just decided that I'm going to start life fresh in the U.S. Number three, I was a ballroom dance instructor teaching at the Dance With Me studio in New York and uh, teaching and competing in Europe and the U.S. for close to 15 years. That's awesome. Maybe we could add some resources to the podcast for people to actually see you that i i'm almost certain if we search youtube we'll find something no maybe (laughs) (laughs) number four i co-founded the marketing agency called bloomify in new york which was helping companies with top of funnel user acquisition and all things growth number five i got my first official growth product role at tech startup based in austin called kinjo Love Kinjo. Mm-hmm. Uh, number six, joined Rippling's uh, lifecycle cross-sell team as the second lifecycle manager. And number seven is joined Amplitude's growth monetization team, which is where I am right now. And it must be pretty much a, almost a dream job. I love that company and what you folks are doing. And I hear you. we have a common friend also working there, right? Elena is working there. I think Elena's, it's a tradition that Elena's name comes up in every episode. First of all, because it was her idea to do the false starts theme. (laughs) And then she told me, I don't need the credits, but there they are. And second, because she is a god when it comes to growth. She's awesome. I'm very lucky to be working with her so closely. It's a privilege, uh, for sure. So for those who don't know what Amplitude is and what it offers, uh, do you mind sharing just a little bit of that context? Sure. So I am currently on the growth monetization team at Amplitude. 
And for those who don't know what Amplitude is, Amplitude is a digital analytics platform that makes it super easy for product and growth to derive self-serve critical insights to improve acquisition, retention, and monetization. Yeah, I love it. And I've used it for a long time. I also used some competitors of yours. I guess the ability to have data at your fingertips without needing always a data scientist is, uh, is just You're so useful best, for, right? for us. Yeah, yeah. just <laughs> for us that want like in a meeting in two seconds, get an answer. It's just great. All right. So let's dive in real quick because that's what people, I guess, are expecting. You have a sort of a false start. So almost starting on your the beginning of this new job. Can you maybe share a little bit about the context of the the company and the context of the issue so that we can dive into that false start in more detail? Sure. So when you asked me to think about a false start that I had, I immediately thought of this campaign that I launched in my time at Rippling. And it wasn't a complete failure, but there were so many things that could have gone better. And it was my day two on the job as part of the newly developed lifecycle cross-sell team. So things were just... Full of energy. Yes. <laughs> you know, when sometimes people say spend 80% of your energy when you start your job so that you have 100 when it needs to go. I put 150 on day one, which sometimes lead to burnout, but I was so eager and excited to do things. And my manager thought it was a great idea, which I agree was a great idea, but not at the time, thought that the fastest way to ramp up is just to throw me into the water and ask me to launch this campaign. So that's what he did. On day two, I was tasked with my first campaign as a way to quickly ramp up and make an impact right away. That's kind of the rippling style, which I love about it. And I guess to give a little bit of a context of who Rippling is and my team to understand the full start and how it happened, Rippling is an HR automation software. It's a compound business model of 19 products. So you can Mm -hmm. imagine how important it is to have a cross-sell team. There's 19 products and a customer base, and we really want to increase that lifetime value of each customer instead of always hunting for the new customers and kind of much cheaper to expand in theory, right? To expand than to get a new customer, I guess, easier. Yeah. That's how we optimize as well. Exactly. And I guess a huge chunk of the revenue came from the growth team, which is not standard at every company. So the growth team was really bringing in the revenue. So there was a lot of pressure on the growth team to deliver results. That's why probably on day two, I had to launch a campaign. And I joined as a second person on the cross-sell team. So kind of putting that foundational work and infrastructure and and defining how the campaign creation and launch is going to happen and working cross-functionally to develop the pods and and so on. And I ended up owning the lifecycle strategy for IT suite, which is the device management, inventory management, and uh, assisted with the launch of Rippling Going Global last October Mm -hmm. when Global Payroll and the EOR launches happened, which was really fun to be part of that. So I guess that's a little bit about Rippling, about the story of the false bet and what happened. So it was my day two on the job. I was so eager to prove myself and to do my best work that I needed a chance to prove myself. So I guess that's a good match with my manager who thought on day two, I should already be launching campaigns. And I was tasked to launch a campaign for a product called Unity. Mm -hmm. And Unity, a little bit of a context, Unity is a product that kind of consists of 
five different separate products that are built on top of the employee graph. The whole value prop of Rippling, and I'm not trying to sell, I'm just genuinely fascinated by the product. The whole value prop of Rippling is that all of those 19 products are built on top of the employee graph. So instead of if you need to make a change in the employee information, you do it just once. You don't just go to 20 different systems to do it. Mm -hmm. Everything is connected. So Unity had five different products in it. And basically the core of Unity is Workflow Automator. It's similar to Zapier. If this, then that. For example, Mm -hmm. notify an engineer in Slack channel if an engineer hasn't completed a high-priority Jira ticket because he's on PTO. Sounds important, right? But Mm -hmm. these things can be automated. Or if an employee has a birthday, notify their manager or important company milestone and so on. And for different personas, those workflow automators could be really different. And there are three tiers to Unity. There is free, growth, and unlimited. So my job was to move people from free to growth or to unlimited. And this was super expensive. It's pricey. So it's not easy to just upsell those people from free to growth. And I realized, and also the context is no one really fully owned Unity before I joined. So there wasn't a lot of insights and tests done. So I had to kind of start from scratch. Just a quick follow-up question. Is their pricing public? Need to check. Not sure. Not sure. No, just wondering, because you said it was very expensive and I was like, what would be the range? Like, is it in the 10K per year or something like that or even higher? I'm not going to lie. I don't remember. I do know it's not self-serve and I do know it's price per employee. So the more employees you have, the more expensive it is. Ah, okay. So if it's a big company, well, it would involve some high touch as part of the sale, probably. Definitely. Yeah. Understood. That's what I was trying to get, just to understand if that was what you were trying to convey. Like by expensive, it's just a hard sell or a harder sell than just uh, buying, I don't know, subscription to Gmail premium or something. Right. That's correct. And I realized that we realized that in order to achieve upgrades, we needed to achieve the workflow adoption, first of all. And we realized that not a lot of people adopted the workflows, and that was a huge problem. So in order for us to upgrade people, they had to get to their aha moment, which is create their first workflow and then increase the create a habit, which is continue using the workflow, and then we can monetize them. So the first job to be done was increase workflow adoption. And Mm -hmm. with that in mind, came up with a campaign that's called Bonus Workflows. So basically, the goal was to increase workflow adoption with this five bonus workflows that we would give to a segment of customers to hopefully increase the workflow adoption and then, as a result, increase monetization and upsells. And the strategy was, since we, I had no idea what would work and there was not much kind of test done in the past. So my strategy was just try a bunch of things and see what gets traction and double down in that direction. So I launched this series of tests on different layers. The first layer was messaging types. I was curious to know if the efficiency messaging with workflow examples tailored to each persona would work better than just like short consultative approach. The second layer was incentive variations. So would free bonus workflows, I mean, I keep calling it free bonus workflows. It's just bonus workflows. <laughs> bonus workflows or lunch and learn or no incentive at all would work better. And then layer three, segment all of these variations from layer one and two based on the persona. So CEO, HR, CFO, engineering, they all cared about different things and different workflow examples. 
And the channel that I used was one-to-many email and in-product banner pop up on the homepage. And basically, what was interesting about that campaign is that I worked cross-functionally with the customer-facing roles, such as CSMs, who knew exactly what people care about, what different persona cares about. Like, what does the VP of Eng care about in terms of automating workflow versus HR and so on? So that's kind of the campaign story. Good. And you didn't launch the three campaigns. So layer one, layer two, layer three, you said a little while ago, these were three attempts, right? Three different campaigns that you launched. It's the same campaign with multivariant testing, different variations. Ah, okay. So like no incentive plus efficiency messaging, you know, and breaking down by persona. The segments by persona. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or like bonus workflows, but short and sweet consultative approach broken down by persona. So the same campaign, different kind of layers of testing variations. And so I'm hearing you and this like everything so far, so up until now, or like 10 minutes in, seems to be going well, right? What exactly went wrong? (laughs) (laughs) Right, good question. First of all, the first learning from that campaign is don't get attached to your campaign. Don't fall in love with your work too much. Be flexible. I guess because I was day two on the job or week one or week two on the job, I was so attached to this campaign, like my life was defined by it. And everything had to go perfect. Everything had to go the exactly how I planned. And I wasn't allowing any wiggle room for any changes and flexibility. So for example, Like there were things that wouldn't work out for the timeline that was defined. And I was willing to wait weeks in order to make it perfect instead of launching right away and learning, which brings me to my second learning, which is like just launch an MVP and start learning as soon as possible. Because I launched an email and I was waiting to launch a banner for like three or four weeks just because I wanted the variable in the header to be so specific as a countdown. And the Eng team was kind of, they needed four weeks to complete it. And I was like, okay, so I'm going to wait until they complete it. And I waited and they told me that they're not going to complete it and they need like two or three more weeks. Oh, um, wow. so, I just, <laughs> so instead of just waiting for like a tiny little thing, like a variable on a banner, just move fast and start learning. So that was my, one of the biggest. So you had to wait like seven weeks for that banner to be ready? Three or four weeks for that variable to be completed. And when I found out that they need more time, I just launched it, you know, after a month of waiting. I could have waited even longer, but luckily I didn't. So the delay of the banner was like four weeks and the email already went out. So if you can imagine, it's really nice contextual experience when the person gets an email and they log in into their account and they also see a banner and the same week. That was not the case because I was (laughs) waiting for that freaking variable. (laughs) And so how did this land? I mean, what was the impact of this in practice? I mean, to users or within your own team, did it have some uh, ripple effect? (laughs) So I think the biggest consequence of this and the result is that we wasted time. We could have launched right away on day one. Sure, there's not going to be a variable. Just get over it and launch as it is. But we wasted four weeks waiting instead of starting to learn right away. And I'm sure the results might have been better if we were to launch it sooner. Yeah, four weeks. It's um, With another two weeks is half a quarter, which in growth years or in <laughs> growth hours, it's a lot of time. 
it's a lot of time in rippling definitions, it's an eternity because of how fast everything moves. It's really fast. And, you know, waiting for something for a month is completely unforgivable. I don't know how I was allowed to do that. Well, I wouldn't say unforgivable, but at least you learned. And that's what I guess what matters at this point. But the speed at which you deliver things seemed to matter when you, you know, day two, you you had to start an experiment and whatnot, and then you waited a lot. So I can't imagine how frustrated you might have been in retrospect about all of this. But let's carry on. Let's carry on. So you talked about don't get attached to campaigns, launching the MVP as fast as you can. What else? I guess the next one is don't just think about step one, think about the holistic journey. And that is connected on what you asked, what happened after you waited four weeks for the banner to be launched. What happened is that I haven't started learning early to already, you know, go further to launch step two. So once a user adapted the first workflow, what happens next? We haven't gotten an upgrade yet. It's not over. But I only thought of this step one, you know, activate at least one workflow and only started to think of step two a lot later once I learned. So I think the lesson here is think about holistic journey a lot sooner. Okay, what happens after they adapt their first workflow? How do we get from the first workflow to the second workflow? What happens if they adapt five bonus workflows? What gets them to upgrade? Like what happens next? Who upgrades and kind of learn from there? So thinking of a holistic journey. Got it. And because you didn't think about it in this case at that time, was this another factor that made you waste time or there was something else? Probably yes, because I could have acted faster. I thought about the next steps a lot later. So we had follow-up. So like what happens after a person activates workflow one, but it was in, in the matter of weeks or months instead of just, you know, launching fast and iterating as you go. So again, I guess speed and thinking of a bigger picture instead of being fixated on just one campaign, step one. Yeah, which I don't know how it turned out, but eventually there were other things along the journey that could have or help with the impact that you were looking for. Right. And what else? I know you have three more gold nuggets for us. (laughs) So the next one is something we did right, which is exciting. We did something right. So experiment the crap out of it, I call it. It just launches many variation and experiments as you can really deliver that personalized experience. There's nothing worse than, you know, when a company tries to speak to you like you're just one of many part of big group instead of really honing into your unique challenges and speaking your language and joining the conversation in your head. So experimenting a lot and seeing what works. I think that we did well. The second one is team up with a customer facing role. As a growth person, I don't always have as much exposure to customers on a daily basis as you know CSMs or AEs do. So team up with those roles to really learn what customers care about. Like in my case, I teamed up with CSM to know what workflow examples each persona cares about. For example, what is on top of mind of an HR persona in terms of automated workflows. And I had my assumptions before I started teaming up with CSMs. And those assumptions, which seemed like intuitive, they were not top of mind. And then I changed the workflow examples once I learned what people actually care about. And the CSM team really did their research to find out that, as well as talking to customers in and out every single day so they know. Before you move to the other topic, you really 
when we had a chat before the cast. And, and so I know that you really worked through with them throughout the design of the experiment. It was as if at the, as the customer success folks were part of the team. They were. So did you go like design sessions together, brainstorming sessions together? How was that dynamics? And I don't want it to sound like you sent them an email and say, hey, what are the use cases? And then they reply, the use cases are A, B, and C. It was more than that, I believe, uh, right? Yes. Yes. So I was working with specific folks on the CSM side who were really involved all the way from campaign ideation to campaign launch. And there was a series of brainstorming session, like you said, and even the copy sessions of us trying to write down those example workflows for each persona. And it was a collaboration even in the same docs of like CSMs and not just all CSM. There was a specific person or two from the CSM team who I was partnering up with. And it was really a collaboration with various brainstorming sessions, copy editing together in the same doc and really hands-on. They were really hands-on. Like they were my teammate on the lifecycle team. And they should, right? It's something that they're doing all the time. I love working with customer success teams as well. They are, especially for activation, onboarding and activation, because they're such a source of knowledge. And in some companies, just to say this, because I maybe we can change some people's minds, in some companies, they're just looked at as a transactional team that delivers uh, support to customers, but they can do so much more for, for the product as a whole. Yeah. Yeah, kudos to all of those folks out there. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that because that person, uh, there was one specific person that I worked with on CSM team that was so passionate about this that she was just driving and like initiating so many conversations. She was just so into it that I didn't have to force the collaboration or engagement with the team at all. She was just running it and I loved it. And that's to your point, how uh, it's not just a transactional relationship. It was really that person cared about the outcome of the campaign. Yeah, that's so good. I had similar experience with some good customer success teams I worked with. Anyway, good stuff. And lastly? And lastly, the last learning is DIY. Do it yourself. So I know it doesn't sound intuitive, but If you are blocked, if I was blocked on one of the things that related to the campaign launch, which was audience creation, that was on a plate of a different team. And instead of trying to learn audience creation on my own, I waited. There was a delay because of the audience creation as well. And later, maybe three months into my role, I learned how to create audiences. But when I just started, I didn't know how to do it. But if I learned how to create audience, and I was curious Hmm, I wonder how to create audiences. Maybe I should just move faster and not wait for these people who have so much on their plate and learn how to create audience. Shouldn't be that hard. Instead of that, I waited until we launch, you know, until the team can create an audience. So I wished I learned how to create audiences sooner. And I guess the learning is if there's something you can just learn how to do yourself, obviously it's not, you know, going into code and like, you know, messing up with the company's code. If it's something like relatively easy, then try to do it yourself instead of waiting until you're unblocked. Yeah, I think as I heard you throughout all your story, it feels like you really don't want to waste time. Like the theme here is don't waste time, just get stuff moving. If something is too big, if something is going to take too long, find an alternative that would help validate the hypothesis, the same hypothesis. There are multiple paths to the same goal. 
So if someone tells you it takes two weeks to develop, work with them and find maybe what? Something that takes a day to develop. Right. Did you feel like after going through this experience that now you're like, oh, how could I have done that and be so slow and whatnot? Yeah. Do you feel that you got like a different sense of urgency for these things or how did this experience transform you? Like at Amplitude, for example. It's a good question. Good question. And I think it comes to my personality type. I am patient while being so impatient. I'm extremely impatient. I just want things to happen right away. I had to learn this skill to be patient. But in my nature, I get so excited, so passionate, and so impatient that that's probably translated into my work of how if something is inefficient, I really want to fix it and make it more efficient, make it better. And that's probably why I'm so excited about growth because I'm excited about my own personal growth, being better than yesterday, as well as growing other companies like Amplitude. So I think it comes from the personality trait of like being impatient. I need the result right away. Why isn't it better? <laughs> so Interesting. So how do you know that you're being too patient? I learned to be patient because I was so impatient. I learned that in order for things to develop and to come in a way that you want, you have to be patient. You have to see things happen instead of being so impatient that you, you know, jump to the next thing right away. So I'm not patient, but I learned to be more patient than I used to be. And you were just over-optimizing while you were at Rippling, probably, because uh, for an impatient person to wait three weeks, that's, uh, that must have hurt uh, yes. a little bit as well. And I guess it helped that I was working also on other things. At Rippling, there's like multiple things ah, happening okay. at the same time. But I think it also connected to that I'm coming from a startup world. And in startups, you just wear many hats and you just do everything and you're not waiting for someone to complete their part of work. So I think it's also coming from there, which is also interesting how it applies at Amplitude, which is what I'm currently doing. Well, good stuff. So thanks, Katia, for sharing this and, uh, you know, being opening up to an unknown audience about something that... uh, Well, you should be proud of, but normally it's uh, just a hard conversation to share these things. I'd love to ask you one more question and then we can wrap up a list of three things that you use to keep up with everything that's happening in growth to develop yourself. Are there three things that come to mind? Yes, there's more than three, but let's start with three. So you can share five and I'll add them all to the resources uh, of (laughs) of the podcast. There's uh, two that's connected to my morning routine. I'm a big morning person and I love doing things in the morning that make me better. And there's one that's uh, separate. So number one of my morning routine is I wake up and I read Elena Werner's posts. <laughs> she, <laughs> you know, she would post in the morning and I would wake up and read her post and it would be super insightful. Number two, I go to the gym at 6 a.m. and I, while working out, I listen to a new Lenny Rachetsky podcast episode. And it's mm-hmm. super cool because you get to exercise your physical body and your you get to kind of start your brain at 6 mm-hmm. a.m. while you're not, you know. Some of those are 90 minutes, so you must be a good uh, athlete. Sometimes I go to the gym twice, like on different days, <laughs> listening to the same episodes, which, which makes me think if Lenny should shorten his episodes. Lenny, please. I agree. Uh, yeah. But also you'd lose some of the insights. So That's true. That's true. It's full of insights. And number three is Reforge, of course. I'm a huge fan of Reforge. I just finished like 
two months ago, Growth Series. I loved it. It's, I think this is the foundation, the golden standard for anyone who wants to learn growth, whether you're founder, yeah. product, or growth person, this is the course you should take. And then I'm excited in three weeks, Growth Leadership course is about to start with Elena Verna. So I'm taking that one. So I think Reforge, Lenny Orchevsky, and Elena Verna are my top three resources. All right, good stuff. Thank you. And uh, that's cheating because Elena is all over the Reforge courses. But uh, well, she's just uh, the queen of growth. <laughs> she's a shark. I mean, she calls herself a shark. So I'll I'll just call her that as well. I think with her permission. All right, thank you so much. Where can people find you online? Sure. So Substack, I have a Katya Roshko growth newsletter. It's free. I just love sharing as I learn. So it's a free growth newsletter on Substack. And then I'm also on LinkedIn as Katya Roshko and on Twitter as Katya Roshko. So. All right. Thank you so much. We'll have all of these things to the show notes. If you have any other things that you'd like us to share with the listeners, feel free to share and I'll add them later. Katya, thank you so much for this. It was a blast having you. I wish you all the best at Amplitude. And I know that people are going to be talking about you and growth in a few years if some of them aren't already. So I love your passion and energy. Thanks for today. Thanks for having me, Maria. Thank you for listening to the Product-Led Podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with a colleague or friends you know who might benefit we are always looking at which episodes get the most listens so we know which content to create more of. So if you want more of this particular type of content or style of episode, please share it out. And in return, here's your selfish reason to do this. Uh, we will definitely create more content just like this episode. <laughs> and if that's not your style, please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts and tell us your favorite part about this podcast. I personally read every single one of these reviews, and it gives me more ideas on what content we should do more of. Happy growing.